0: Welcome to In-Depth Studies Weekend. In-Depth Studies is the teaching ministry of Jeff Volker, which seeks to equip the believer with a theological foundation. All teaching is from the point of view of the doctrines of grace and New Covenant theology.
1: Thanks again for joining us to another edition of In-Depth Studies Weekend. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker, who is uh, still the director of In-Depth Studies. (laughs) <laughs> and last check and, yeah last check we'll, we'll we'll keep you posted on that one uh jeff last time we were talking about uh this whole idea of being prisoners of the law under the supervision of law but now we're in the new covenant era <laughs> so what are we if we're not under the mosaic law any longer what are we under and 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 you'd mentioned and i and i really you know i think it's a key point that the whole purpose of the law was to reveal sin, cause sin really to almost increase people to become more aware of their need of a savior. Well, this side of of the cross and Pentecost, what does God use to convince okay. people of their need of a savior and so forth? Yes, uh,
0: and of course I'm painfully aware that the end of the last program at the end I did go a bit over. I was you know getting caught up in my <laughs> explanations, <laughs> which is I need to pay attention to the warnings in my ear about the time frame. But okay. Let's just sort of recap a little bit, because that's always helpful to do. So Paul's, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 is making the point that, guys, to the Galatians, guys, this is was God's plan for the Old Covenant. It was never, it was a works covenant. It was never given to save you. It was not an, alternat- an alternative method. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, because... In early part, from 15 on, it talks about the Abrahamic covenant really being truly fulfilled, which is by the new covenant, the work of Jesus on the cross, which is grace. We're getting something we don't deserve. Whereas the old covenant is works, because it's remember, it's all tied. We think not only in Exodus 19, but Deuteronomy 28, 29, that if you don't obey perfectly, God curses you. Okay, so he's he's driving home the point that, guys, uh, that the the mosaic law which is the version of law that's uniquely tied to the old covenant is it is historically time bound we're gonna we'll address that in a bit more detail down the road a little bit uh but he says it's time bound that that when the cross takes place and remember when jesus died on the cross the uh that barrier, that cloth barrier that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, was torn into from top to bottom, symbolizing now that uh, the, a, the time of the picture's over, a way to have direct access to, with God, because of course the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies symbolizes the throne of God, the way to have direct access has now been accomplished, because Jesus paid for the sin, everything God has against, those who are going to believe. He pays for all their sins, so to use the language of Hebrews, we can now go, if we're a believer in Jesus, we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Okay, so now, but now with the coming of Pentecost and then, I mean, in the new covenant era, this time of fulfillment, age of the spirit, which is the age of belief, now we're under a new version of God's law, which once again, we will discuss in great detail down the road, but it's called the law of Christ. It's similar, but in a number of ways, very distinctly different from the Mosaic Law. But one of the things that we'll just mention now and then come back to later on uh, is that law always does the same thing. And let me explain. With reference to unbelievers, to believers. The Mosaic Law, we we, we saw that last, our program for last week, was that when the Mosaic Law was given to Israel on Mount Sinai, it was given so that their sin might increase. Because when law confronts an unbelieving heart, our evil passions are aroused so that we sin more, not less. So we see law with unbelievers in Israel, because as a whole, Israel was unbelieving, they just got worse. But if you were a believer in Israel, like David, mm-hmm. who was a believer, then. If you go to Psalm 119, David makes these statements, Oh, how I love your law. Well, the reason he loved it was because he was a believer. You know, he was being saved on the basis of Christ's work on the cross to come. And therefore, the way he shows his love for God is to keep his commandments. It's the way he shows that he has a new heart. So law has this twofold function. To the unbeliever, it shows you your sin. To the believer, it shows you how to reveal your love for God, keep his commandments. So that's Mosaic law. But the law of Christ, the version of God's law for us, those who live this side of Pentecost, does the same thing. Remember, uh, you know, the uh, Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the law of Christ. If you're an unbeliever, then, of course, if you break God's the law of Christ, you're under his wrath, and you need a savior. But if you're a believer, this is how you show your love for God, keep his commandments. So what we see is these twofold function, the purpose of law in an unbeliever's life, purpose of law in a believer's life. That's identical, no matter which version of law you find yourself under. But in the old covenant era, the aspect of law that is being highlighted is law in the life of unbelievers. Because Israel as a whole is unbelieving, a temporary unbelieving picture of the people of God. Whereas in the New Covenant era, the aspect of law that is being highlighted is the law in a believer's life, how you show your love for God by keeping his commandments. And so that's why you have these two distinctly different flavors in these both these different eras, the Old Covenant mm-hmm. era and the New Covenant era, which is why some folks... Say which is very incorrect, very incorrect. But from a a sort of, from a point of view, you can kind of see it: the God in the Old Testament's a God of wrath; Mm. the God in the New Testament's a God of love. And the truth of the matter is, obviously, it's the same God. But if, if in the Old Covenant era, which is most of the Old Testament from Exodus on, God is dealing with Israel and they are fundamentally unbelieving, then. all you're going to see is much more the darker side of God. That is, you're seeing his justice, his wrath, all of that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the New Covenant, if he's primarily focusing on his relationship to believers, then you're going to see, as we might say, the softer side of seers. You're going to see (laughs) the love aspect, because these are the people for whom Jesus died. He satisfied God's wrath on their behalf, so they are unconditionally accepted. And they only can experience his love, Romans 8, 28. Everything is going to work out for their good, because they're now because they're real believers. So you have these two different emphases of law, which is why you get two different flavors, but fundamentally you have to understand the law
1: always does the same thing no matter which version of law you're under. You know when you when you quoted from Romans or it talks about the the wages of sin is death. In a believer's life that's true, but it's death paid for on the cross it's yes that death it's not our death that he no no that's paid for yeah because and that and that is such a rich rich understanding because that is what drives us into to want to keep his commandments
0: absolutely true yeah. so with that in mind we sort of tied a ribbon around sort of a loose strands there from our mm-hmm. last program let's begin we are at galatians chapter 3 verse 26 we want to we want to go through 4 7 on this program and it says this Remember, this is a continuation of the Apostle Paul's historical argument as to why he did things the way he did them. That is, he brought the old covenant first and then the new covenant through the death of Jesus on the cross. He says this, for of course, he's talking to believers there at Galatia, and he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Because water baptism is our outward way we show we believe. Okay, that's, that's pretty obvious. Then he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. And this is, of course, the priesthood of all believers, that everybody's on equal footing, unlike the Old Covenant, where there's these radical different levels of sort of uh, rights, Uh, And we we see that with men, women Mm -hmm. under Mosaic law, big Mm -hmm. difference. And if you're a priest, you know, if you're a Levite, then you have greater, lots more privileges. If you're a priest, you have more privileges. So you have all these different gradations of sort of uh, rights. But once you get to the real family of believers, everybody's on the same footing. We're all part of the same family of God. We're all believer priests. So he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are... Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise.
1: Whoa. I I thought we said last program that Abraham's seed was Christ.
0: Ah. Well, it actually depends where you read because if you're reading in Genesis 15, you know, 17 and following, the Abraham's seed is, that is his physical descendants Mm -hmm. and that's rather obvious because Jews are called children of Abraham. But, here he makes the statement, he goes, actually, The real children of Abraham are believers in Jesus Christ, are believers, which meant that the physical descendants of Abraham, his literal children, are only a picture of a children of Abraham to come that are going to be the real, in God's sight, the real children of Abraham. If you turn, we're going to come back to this, but just very briefly, Romans 9, right at the beginning, Paul is setting up this section, Romans 9, 10, 11. This is where we're going to go next as far as our next chunk of Scripture to Mm -hmm. talk about the purpose of Israel in the new covenant era, God's plan. He's making a point that it's not through... uh, Or let me rephrase that. The the only way you can become part of the real people of God is that God has to choose you. It's His grace. Mm -hmm. And so if you pick it up, Verse six, he says, it is not as though God's word had failed for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, meaning it, Jews as a whole, they, they don't buy Jesus. They don't buy the cross. And so it looks like his, God's plan has failed. But he goes, no, not really, because you're, you are confusing the, the fact that you think literal Israel is the real people of God. He goes, no. And then he repeats himself, nor because they are his descendants, are they, Abraham, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, this is the verse, verse 8, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. His point was back there, he says, Guys, you're making this fundamental mistake if you equate the literal Israelites who are Abraham's literal children with the real people of God. When God promised to give descendants a seed, yes, there were Abraham's literal descendants, which is Israel, but they are just a temporary, unbelieving picture of a seed to come. Of course, Jesus is said to be the real seed of Abraham. By his death on the cross, he purchases a people from every tribe, nation, tongue who will have their sins forgiven, have transformed hearts. This is the real people of God, which is why in Galatians three twenty six it says, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you belong to Christ, this is three twenty nine, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what's the promise? Well, in Galatians, I mean in Genesis seventeen, it's obvious it's promised land. He promises the land to Israel. Well, if we're if you're a believer in Jesus, do you get a free trip to Israel? No, I don't think so. I heard Tel
1: Aviv is prettier.
0: Tel yes <laughs> But no, 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 because in Hebrews 4, the promised land it describes as a picture of heaven. So if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we're trusting in him alone to pay for our sins by his death on the cross, we want to follow him as Lord. If we're a believer, then we have the promise of eternal life, which is that we will go to join God in his land that will not end, of which literal Palestine was a temporary picture. That's all. So what he's he's getting this picture fulfillment idea old covenant to new. And so he's driving home the point that if you understood what God is doing historically in his plan of salvation, you would have never tried to bring the mosaic law into the new covenant era and sort of somehow tied to the new covenant because they're opposites, antithetical. They're oil and water. That's works and grace. And now he, he's going to say something else, because this is sometimes a controversial section, and I'll explain why. Chapter 4, 1 to 7, but it's all a continuation of what we've been talking about. He says, what I'm saying is this, knowing that we're probably a little confused. He says that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. No, he's describing the way it is in a Roman household. We understood this. That, that you have an heir the, heir, the person who's an heir will one day inherit everything, but until he comes of age, he right. doesn't have any rights. He is subjects, It says he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. That's the way it works. So also, when we were children, now he's using this Old Covenant, New mm-hmm. Covenant uh, idea in mind. He says, so when we were children, that is in the Old Covenant era, We were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. We were slaves to sin. We were unbelievers. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, Mosaic law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Okay, so he's historically explaining this, that during, you know, know, from Mount Sinai, And to the cross, we see that the law was given to Israel so that sin might increase, okay? So that the trespass might increase so that we're guilty not only of Adam's sin, but also all of our personal sin. So he says this, that, so this was an historical illustration showing the futility of trying to be saved by what you do. So then at just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, fully God, fully man. He went to this, came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, thereby qualifying to be our substitute on the cross, a lamb without blemish. And then he went there and he paid for the sins of all who were going to believe. That is to redeem those under law. Of course, in this context, he's specifically focusing in on Israel. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's so those who were under the old covenant. So he's so those who were under the old covenant era. They needed to be redeemed because they were they were still under God's wrath because they had broken his law. And, of course, he's going to redeem a people that we might receive the full rights of sons. So what he's doing, he's going from the heir to sonship, mm-hmm. old covenant to new, a people who weren't a people who were slaves to their sin, now they have new hearts. Because then he goes on to say, which is the best part of this, verse 6 and 7, he says, because you are sons, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit, talking to believers, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Since you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And, of course, the whole point is he's going from Old Covenant Israel to the New Covenant to the church, the real people of God. And he's going from slave to heir to son, unbeliever to believer, That's the point. And so he's just really beginning to tie a ribbon around all this, saying that, guys, this is what's going on, is that in in God's plan he goes from the old covenant to the new to illustrate, to fulfill. Israel is unbelieving to the church, the real people of God. And this is a rather crucial argument. It's rather extended, to tell you the truth. But he's driving home the point.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it is amazing. I mean, the idea, the whole, you know, the whole imagery of slave versus son. Mm-hmm. Although, in one sense, we become slaves to righteousness, but that's a whole other program. But, but this, but what is he talking about when he says heir? What do, what do I inherit?
0: Ah, uh, we inherit eternal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the idea. Because if we become sons, of course, the way we become son is, is that we repent and believe the gospel, trust in Jesus to save us, want to follow Him as Lord, and then we we enter into we are we are now part of God's family. And if you're part of his family, then you get eternal life. Ah. And because remember the imagery of Romans 8, the idea is that it says Jesus when he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended in, into heaven, then it says he always lives to intercede for us. Mm. So, if he rose from the dead, that means what he did on the cross continues to have its effect. And so if if he the imagery is he sits at the right hand of the Father and then he always lives to intercede. That for he's going to live forever. Therefore, what he did on the cross applies to us forever. So therefore, we have eternal life because forever our sins are forgiven. And if your sins are forgiven, you have a clean record. If you have a clean record, you're righteous. And if you're righteous, you are accepted. That's the idea. So it's really, uh, it, it is a wonderful sort of passage of comfort that ultimately Jesus does it all, which is unlike the Old Covenant where it depended on us. Exactly. We had to do it. We had to obey the law or God was going to curse us. Whereas real salvation, no, we, Jesus does it all. Yes, we do do things, but we recognize these are the result of God working in us. We don't take credit for anything. Remember like Ephesians 2 8, 9, and 10, which is sort of like a memory, famous memory passage, where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the, the changed life, the good works that we do, we can't take credit for, he is the one who causes those things to happen, and he and he, he says that by using the phrase he, "good works," which God prepared
1: in advance for us to do. And it's interesting because the 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 complete opposite of the old covenant law, and now the new covenant, and, and, and this age of belief, the works we do don't earn us anything. No, you know, in terms of you know the old covenant, the old testament Jew. Was trying to somehow earn a relationship with God and failed. The new covenant believer is doing these works, but the relationship's already established. You know, it's oh, not yeah. as though we're 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 gaining acceptance or we're we're adding to our salvation in any way by those works that he's talking about here.
0: Oh yeah, it, it is. It is so absolutely opposite. Yeah. And the mistake that folks make sometimes, especially when they're reading the Old Testament with Israel is they tend to read back into it um, a relationship that we have as believers in the new with the Lord, as though Israel had that identical relationship with God in the old. And that is not true. They were that—we we repeat this at a nauseam because just want to drive home the point. Mm-hmm. They were a temporary, unbelieving picture of the people of God. Yeah, there's a little remnant of believers within Israel, but they don't count because once again remember we dealt with this a number of weeks ago in Deuteronomy 28 just verse look at verses 1 and 2 where it says if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments his commands I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God that is not the way it is in the new covenant are being in the family of God. No. Because now we have good works which God prepared in advance for us to do that there's no way we can miss it. Yes, we're still responsible to make choices for Jesus. But as a believer, he says the Holy Spirit is going to cause these things to happen right. so that it is not possible to have your sins forgiven and not have a changed life. It's just that that can't help but happen.
1: Right, but at the same time, we can rest our shoulders in our justification, mm-hmm. our standing with God, while we try to work, do these works, these good works that he's prepared for us to do. But we're not, those aren't conditional.
0: No, right. no. See, that, that is the whole thing, because right. it seems that in some sense, we've seen guys fall into the trap of thinking that sanctification or the good works we do as believers is somehow, to some degree, conditional. Right. And no, no, it's evidence.
1: Because that because that conditional mindset, that's what robs people of joy.
0: Yes, it does. Because we, never, we are never satisfied mm. with the quality of what we do. We think of Galatians 5.17 where it says, The flesh wars against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, so that you cannot do what you want. Because I'm a believer as a God lover, I want to be perfect in everything. Right. But I find I'm never satisfied with what I do. I'm just never satisfied. And so if my joy... Is based on the quality of what I do. I am not going to have any joy, so my
1: joy has to be in what Jesus did exactly. for me. That's why what you said earlier about Him being at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us—that's so important. So that even when I trip, stumble, fall, He's there interceding for me. It's yeah. already forgiven. I don't. I don't have to. You know, I don't have to shoulder that burden. No, know?
0: it's a strange sort of balance mm. that we have in Scripture. Is that the believer? finds his full acceptance in what Jesus did on the cross, and that's the source of joy. Yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit causes the believer to never to be content to stay where they are, to drive on, to live for Christ, to want to make choices of obeying Jesus Christ. So you have these two things going simultaneously in the believer's life, but it's critical that we put them in their proper place that the quality of our works is never the basis of our acceptance. Right. It's only the evidence that we have our sins forgiven. So every believer is going to have a changed life. And the quality of our works is never the cause of our joy because we are never really satisfied with the quality of our works. We're just not. And because even though if I may do something outwardly that I, I think was right, mm-hmm. but it's it's also part of thoughts, motives, and when I step back and look at those, I'm just never absolutely satisfied right. with them, so they're never the source of joy, mm-hmm. and and that's the mistake. If you're going to make what you do as a believer the source of joy, you are going to lose all joy, mm-hmm. and then yeah. we can discuss spiritual depression <laughs> at that point. <laughs> which, we've been, which we've been
1: looking at on Sundays in our church, yeah. Uh, Well, that's just good stuff. It's a good reminder. Where do we go next week? Next week, we are going to
0: shift gears, and we're going to go to, once again, a rather controversial section, but crucial, Romans 9, 10, and 11, which answers the question, what what is the role of Israel in the new covenant era, from Pentecost to the second coming? What's going to happen with Israel? That we will discuss.
1: Look forward to it. See you next week.
0: If you have any questions about today's program, want more information, or would like to support our ministry, you can find us on the web at ids.org or call us at 480-924-4290 or email jeff at jeff.volker at ids.org.